0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor.
1: And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 4th of August 2021.
0: And on Friday last week, Norman, the Prime Minister announced a four-phase plan of sort of basically our our roadmap out of the pandemic. And yesterday, the government showed it's working. So the Doherty Institute, uh, Professor Jodie McVernon, talked through the back, the back end of what goes into building this roadmap and the sorts of factors that have been considered. So, Norman, can you talk us through what the nuts and bolts are that they've considered when drawing this roadmap up?
1: So let's just take it through in a very practical sense about what it means for, for coronacasters listening to this. So the first the baseline that you probably need to start with is our behavior in between outbreaks. So when we get into an environment whichever state you, or territory you live in when you get into an environment where there's no outbreak and it's been a while since an outbreak we return to normal behavior. We go to work, we go in the car, the kids go to school, we're not wearing masks in the street. I'm not arguing that necessarily we should because there's no covid around and how do you motivate people to do all that stuff? But what that does mean is that the general environment that w- in which we're living is highly transmissible. In other words, if a virus were to plop into our environment, it would grow exponentially because we are not controlling our behavior. And so that's the first thing in, in a pre-vaccination or a mid-vaccination environment, we've got low levels of vaccination. That's the situation that an important part of the analysis of the Doherty Institute's modeling. And what then the consequence of that is, as vaccination grows and before you can rely on vaccination, they've concluded that the short, sharp lockdown is the way to go because what we're doing is we're living normally. And when an outbreak occurs, we need that shock tactic to actually keep us at home, stop us circulating in the community and stop the virus in its tracks when the case numbers are extremely low. So what they did They endorsed Queensland, Victoria, South Australia and presumably Western Australia's strategy here to go for quick, short lockdowns. And Treasury modelling showed that that was the least economically damaging process to go through rather than allowing it to go exponential as it has in New South Wales. So that's the first thing short, sharp lockdowns, but that's not forever. So now let's just go the next logical step. So now vaccination comes in. And as we've been saying now sometime in CoronaCast, vaccination is now you know, tangibly the way through, and we can add vaccination to this strategy. So as you vaccinate more and more people, let's assume, for example, that the vaccines prevent about 50% of infections. So for each one of us individually, that doesn't sound so good, but as an as a population as a whole, If everybody who's vaccinated is half as likely to be infected, then the virus doesn't have as many people that it can go to. So it's an extra tool on top of lockdown. So the more people who get that, uh, get the vaccination, the higher that level, the less likely the virus is to find somebody else to go to. And that means when you get to a certain level, you don't need the lockdown because the vaccine is doing the job of a lockdown. And what this modelling suggests is Right about 80% of the adult population is where that starts. You're know, somewhere between 70 and 80%. But it's more sophisticated than that. Because what they showed, and it's what we foreshadowed on Coronacast, is that you don't open up the vaccination to all adults. You target. So it's targeted vaccination. So you get the most out of your vaccine. And this is independent of supply. This is your priority vaccination process. Is to the vulnerable, so that's the elderly, the older and people with older people with particularly with comorbidities, and the 20 to 40 year age group, because those are the people who get infected and those are the people who transmit it. So what the modelling showed was you need to prioritise and give access to that group because that's the group right now that's hanging around waiting for vaccines and they could be getting vaccines now if they're willing to get Astra. Um, and they can you know, and, and opening up to Pfizer as well, rather than saying look anybody come and get it. That's a much less uh, effective way.
0: So is that going to shift our vaccine strategy? Because up until now we have been prioritising the older group, and we've actually got relatively good coverage. It's improving in those people who are over the age of sixty. But that age group of twenty to forty, in many jurisdictions, they're not eligible yet. Is there going to be a shift in in that, that eligibility criteria?
1: Clearly, the recommendation from the Doherty is that you open up to those groups quite quickly over the next six or eight weeks and uh, and get them immunized. And that will give you much stronger bang for your buck and less likely that when you get virus in the community, it's going to spread for every 10 people in that age group immunized, five of them will not transmit the virus, which is a great great situation to be in.
0: The interesting thing about that 20 to 40 year old age group is that they not just transmit to people their own age, like most of us do, because we mostly hang out with people our own age, but they also transmit older because they're transmitting maybe to their parents and younger because they're transmitting to their children.
1: That's right. So that that is a really important part of this process. Now, what we've yet to see is how Lieutenant General Fruin will translate that to implementation and the extent to which that will do and the extent to which boomers will get in the way of this and say, oh, no, no, we want to be first in line because we're most vulnerable and we want the Pfizer first. Well, in this scenario, take your Astra, get two doses and let the Pfizer go to the 20 to 40 year olds, get them maximally immunized as quickly as possible. It may need some social marketing along the way to get the stragglers because there's a good vaccine for the over 60s. Don't get in the way of Pfizer. Let the Pfizer go to younger people.
0: It's really great to have scientific evidence that backs up our strategy, but does this really change very much in practical terms for most Australians?
1: Yes, because if you live in a state like I do, which doesn't believe in short, sharp lockdowns, um, that that changes the policy in, in the state in which I live. Although what could cruel all this is what happens in New South Wales. So... You can't open up the country if New South Wales is still getting a couple of hundred cases a day. So what you hope is going to happen in New South Wales is very high levels of immunisation incredibly quickly, that they listen to this uh, modelling, and they too go for 20 to 40-year-olds very, very quickly and really get it out there. They're already going for year 12s, and get it out there as quickly as possible to the vulnerable and to those groups, not worry so much about the 40 to 60 year olds. And then maybe you see New South Wales bending the curve. So it means a lot for New South Wales and it strengthens the arm of state premiers in the other states that Coronacasters live in or territories that you live in, that their process is actually the right one. But if you don't like lockdowns, get vaccinated and get vaccinated as quickly as you possibly can.
0: Okay, so then can we please talk about vaccine supply? Because we know that the recommendation for vaccines in Australia is that AstraZeneca is preferred for people over 60 and people over 40 can talk to their GPs about whether or not it's appropriate for them. But if we're talking about prioritising people aged between 20 and 40, what do we do with them if there isn't the Pfizer supply?
1: If you redirect the Pfizer supply towards them, there will be more Pfizer. Are they gutsy enough to say, well, we're not immunizing 40 to 60 year olds anymore with Pfizer, they're going to be redirected for the first month towards 20 to 40-year-olds or 30 to 40-year-olds and then 20 to 30-year-olds. And you 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 kind of starve the 50 to 60-year-olds for a while until you get that in. You, and it's true you know, that, that you do that because it's in a resource-constrained environment. If you had no supply constraints, then what, probably what you would do is really market very funny ads to that 20 to 40-year-old age group really to get them vaccinated. But at the moment, there's plenty of them who are willing to do so. And then each person's got to make up their own mind about, about Astra. If you live in New South Wales or indeed southeastern Queensland, I, I think there's little argument here. If there's a 1 in 50 chance you get infected, you're going to end up in ICU. You know, you'd probably want to bear your arm for, for Astra. In other states, you've got to make up your own mind. I'm not going to push one way or the other, but the equation is pretty strong. The sooner we get vaccinated, the sooner we get out of this.
0: It is really interesting to see the side-by-side comparisons of Pfizer and AstraZeneca once people have had both doses. The real world data shows that there's basically no difference in how much protection they give at the community level.
1: That's right. There's probably a bit of difference in infection prevention, but in terms of disease prevention, there's not a lot of daylight. You're absolutely right, Tegan.
0: Okay. So when we're talking at the moment, we're really talking about phase B, like a fairly early phase of this rollout plan. Once we get beyond that 80% of people aged over 16 being covered with the vaccine, what
1: shifts? Well, what shifts has to be our attitude. And in fact, New South Wales might be the stalking horse for this, because New South Wales might not get down to zero spread. uh, It might get down to lower levels than it's at now. And New South Wales people are going to have to get used to, you know, potentially if you get to very high vaccination rates by the end of August, but you still haven't shifted the curve that much, you're getting 100 cases a day, then New South Wales will show that you can live with 100 cases a day or 200 cases a day, and the world doesn't fall apart because our hospitals aren't full, people aren't dying, and they're not going into ICU because you've, you've, targeted the vulnerable and the younger people who are the bulk of the transmitters are also well covered and they're not ending up in ICU either. So those are the things we're going to, have to get used to moving forward. In other words, the future may be now for people living in New South Wales because we get used to a certain number of cases a day, but realizing psychologically that you don't need to fear that when you've got high levels of vaccination and very low rates of harm.
0: Basically your measure that you're looking at isn't so much case numbers it's hospitalizations or deaths as your marker of how well you're doing against the virus.
1: Yeah, it's when you transition to that. And for the nation it's too early to, far too early to transition to that. So far too early to transition to that in New South Wales. But New South Wales will show the truth of, or not of the modeling um, which is theoretical. Does it work? And when you get to a certain level do you see there's not just the lockdown working very well with vaccination, but you're seeing very little harm from the virus. And you're saying, oh, well, you know, 100 cases a day is actually okay.
0: There's so much nuance that we've got to bake into this, isn't there, Norman? We're still getting questions from people saying, we were told that vaccines are our way out of this. You're saying 70, 80% of the population or the eligible population, whatever, are getting vaccinated, still isn't letting me go back to my normal life. Like, what gives?
1: Well, what gives is it depends on how quickly you you, you, want to, you want to get there. So you can get back to a relatively normal life in between outbreaks. But if there's an outbreak, short, sharp lockdowns are going to be the way to go. And if that matters to you, then get immunized and get immunized now. There's plenty of vaccine around if you're willing to have Astra. Now, if you look at the ABC's data journalists analysis here, their vaccine tracking, which is probably just about the best around. The rolling average, when I looked yesterday, was 1.2 million doses a week. That's the the rolling weekly average. At that rate, they have the entire population immunized by um, January of 2022, so next January. And if we escalate that to the New South Wales levels, then that's going to happen much sooner. So you will get back to normal, and we could get back to normal quite quickly. But that would rely on Astra in the first instance.
0: So it is nice that there is some light at the end of the tunnel, even though it still seems a fair way away.
1: You know, it may not be that long, that far away. We might get to those vaccination rates in New South Wales by, say, the beginning of September, which might mean that during September, you do start to see that measure of control flowing through the system.
0: Well, that's good to hear. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's Coronacast. Your questions, your comments, always welcome, abc.net.au slash coronacast.
1: We'll see you tomorrow.